I'm excited to share this message with you about Christian maturity. I, uh, I, I love humor, and I love to be a part of that. And sometimes I'm humorous, and sometimes I just think I'm humorous. Don, uh, one of the things that, uh, one of many, many hundreds of things that drew me to Don when we were first dating is Don's ability to laugh at my jokes. And all these years later, you know, we're 33 years, I think next year will be 34 years, yes. We, uh, she still, every once in a while, I'll do a joke, and it's the oldest joke, I've done it for all these years, and she'll laugh, and then she'll catch herself, goes, oh, why do I keep laughing at those jokes and encouraging you with those jokes? So one of the jokes that I've done hundreds of times when a baby would cry or, or I'd see a baby, like I'll, I'll pick on little Scotia, Brock and Kim's little baby. I'll go, oh, oh, she's crying. I said, Scotia, grow up. Grow, grow up, Scotia. You know. and, she's, and, and she either keeps crying or smiles back at me. Grow up, Scotia. Well, today I want to talk about growing up in our faith. It is something for every one of us, even if you're here today, and you haven't quite taken the step of faith yet, you're going to find this extremely interesting and it's powerful because you're not here by mistake. God is doing something in you. And if you're a believer and you're here, He's doing something in you. And listen, uh, I, gotta, I just got to do this. Congratulations, Isaac and your new bride-to-be. They are getting married. Isn't that awesome? When's, when's, the wedding, when's the wedding date, guys? On the 20, of October, 22nd of October. So we just congratulate them. And now I'm looking like three seats in front of you, and there's Carrie and Curtis, and they haven't been married that long. They got married this May, in, in May. And so congratulations, you guys, too. So there, it's pretty cool. There's, so all the married, and all of them. <laughs> Growing up in our faith, it's important for every one of us. Did you know that the, one of the main metaphors that Jesus uses to talk about salvation is the, the metaphor of new birth? It's, it's new birth. And so I've put, given lots of things to Chris, and thank you, Chris, for all the things you do and for doing the computer this morning. I've given him different slides here for us this morning. But let's look at that, John chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, salvation, it's new birth to Nicodemus. He says to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so there's a picture here for us that immediate because we understand birth, but now he's talking about a different kind of birth, a spiritual birth, uh, born of the Spirit of God. Uh, John says, "Receive and believe in Him, and you'll be given the right to be called the children of God." So there's a transaction, or there's a there's a birthing process. So when we come to Christ, we are born into His family. So at physical birth. We know that people aren't born as adults. We just know that. So therefore, we understand that they're not born into the faith as adults. We come as infants. We come, as it were, like spiritual babies. And so the inference for us here is that we are to progress from birth and move on to maturity. Because that's what we expect of newborns, that they will mature that they will progress, that it's not dynamic. And so this completely changes even the, our concept of salvation. So salvation itself is not just an arrival place. I've gotten there. It's a starting place, and we go from there. We progress, okay? So the Christian life is not all about destination. 
um, it's about transformation. It's being conformed to the new privilege that we have been given in God, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now listen, what I just said there may be a little shaking for us a little bit, and I'm going to say it again because you may have missed it. Did I hear you say, Pastor Burke, that this is not all about the destination? In the sweet by and by. So heaven is a place that God has made for us. And, and, and I know that we will say it, and I understand it. It, it. It's all about getting to heaven. Well, if it was just all about just getting to heaven, we might change the Lord's Prayer a little bit. Because in the prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come. If it was all about heaven, we'd say, God, take us to your kingdom right now and get me out of here now. But we say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what this sort of informs my mind is down here matters. Down here matters. God is... He's not just in heaven. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that you may be where I am in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. The mansions of God. It's awesome. Heaven's an awesome place. But God is getting heaven ready for us. And He's working here in us now. Our future matters, but so does the journey. God's glory here. God's kingdom. God's purposes. God's mission in humanity. God, He made it all. All that we see. And I know that we're in a flawed creation, but He made it all. Thanksgiving is coming. And we're going to give Him all the credit because it all belongs to Him. As we breathe and live and walk and do and be because of His good pleasure. He deserves it all. And so that's Thanksgiving in a nutshell. We're born again and we're expected to grow. There's another metaphor. Paul uses it in his, uh, in his letters to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3.9. For we are God's building, fellow workers. And, sorry, let me start. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so, boy, he's given us some different metaphors here. Um, we know that a field just doesn't magically have a crop. And we know that a building didn't just magically appear that there are processes, that buildings don't just suddenly, they're just not tall and polished and they're there. Except in Toronto. You've been in Toronto lately, you go back in Toronto and there's just buildings that just, and they're just there. I, for years, I used to tell people when they would come to 401 and Kennedy Road, that's where you turn to go where we used to minister at the church there. I would say, turn at that tall Delta Hotel. It's one of the tallest buildings, I would tell them. Well, when you go there now, it's just like a little teeny hot compared to the monsters beside it. Okay, so I've just uh, undone my entire sermon right there. Okay, God's building, it doesn't just happen in a moment. There's preparation, there's cultivation, there's planting, there's sowing, there's intentionality. And, and so, by the way, this, this verse, in our Western culture, we're very geared toward individualistic thinking. Me thinking, but he, so it is. It's it's. I am the bride, part of the bride of Christ. There's another metaphor, by the way. Um, we are the bride of Christ. Um, 
I am a building that God's building. We are the building. I am the field. We are the field that God is cultivating. He's working on it. He's working on me. He's working on you, but he's working on us because we are the bride of Christ. And he only has one bride. What do you mean? I'm in the, you and you, no. We are the bride of Christ. The, the mystery of us together, being brothers and sisters, we are the family of God. There's another metaphor for us to help us begin to even grasp the wonders of what God has done for us in the gospel. So we enter into the gospel humbly. We, we come empty-handed. We don't have anything to bring. It doesn't matter how many resources you do or don't have. It doesn't rich or poor or, or multi-gifted or not. Multi we just come to Jesus and we got nothing except ourselves. And He just loves that above us because He created us. Our good works, they couldn't save us. If they could have, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. Uh, we wouldn't have needed God to send His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him. We could have done it ourselves. We could have been our own Savior. Sort of understanding this whole thing. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. It's all about Jesus. Our self-effort couldn't save us. We come with repentance and we come with submission as babies, as unfinished fields, as new foundations ready to be built upon. Coming to Christ is the beginning of the journey, not the arrival, not the final destination. So did you know that you're under construction? God is forming Christ in you. Let's look at some scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We've got it on the screen here for us. Can you see this good enough to uh, um, maybe turn this one light off just above the screen? I don't know if that will help or not, Chris. Maybe, maybe not. Let's, let's read this verse together. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. So, so we're supposed to be like Jesus. Gulp. I, I always feel a little gulp when I think of that. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Because so many times in a Christian life, we know it's like three steps forward, and sometimes it's two steps back. And we don't feel like we look much like Jesus, but we're called to look like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Um, I'm going to go down to verse 23. But to be made new in the attitude of your mind, Paul says. This is what God has for us. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put off the new self. Excuse me. Put on the new self. You put off the old self. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we were created. So, by the way, side note, there's another word picture here. It's putting on, taking off the old clothes, putting on the new clothes. Putting on what? A new attitude with this new kingdom that we have been called to, and we've been called into the privilege and the benefits and the inheritance. When you're in a family, there's a benefit that comes with that family. And I know sometimes we think, no, there's not. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. There's, there's a benefit that comes in the family. And there is... Uh, Paul says, I pray that you may know him, that you could understand the benefits of this amazing family that God has called us to be. So the word picture is putting on new clothes, like um, putting off your old attitude. You've got to change your attitude, young man. <laughs> you ever told that? Change your attitude. No, no, Rose has never been told that, young man, young lady. <laughs> so, we're still on our rabbit trail a little bit, but 2 Corinthians 5.17, but if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. We are new creation. But, but the, the key of this verse for us is to be like God. He is our template. His righteousness and His holiness. To be like Him. Oh, to be like Jesus. We're to look like Jesus. The, the word Christian, it's little Christ's is really what, what it is. That we're, we're to look like Jesus. So let's look at Ephesians 5.1. The imitators. The imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we, we, we're to have as our template Jesus. And so did you know that you're under construction? Uh, international evangelist Billy Graham, his wife Ruth Graham, passed away in 2007 at the age of 87. Now, how many know who Billy Graham is? Now, I'm not going to ask the other question. We have to reckon with the fact that there are many people who now do not know who Billy Graham is. Uh, that's just the, the case. And it was Dr. Steve Elliott at uh, Kingswood University, our Canadian Bible College University. He said that 70 to 80% of his students do not know who Billy Graham is. I mean, so if you think of it ages us a little bit, I know that, but anyway, Billy Graham. Ruth, um, I want you to see what was on her tombstone. It's going to be hard to see. I'll read it to you, but put it up there for us, Chris. And let's see her tombstone. Uh, this tombstone, before I tell you what it is, it's found at the uh, Billigram Library in North uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, it, it's there. So this is what it says in the bottom of her tombstone, if you can't see it. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. End of construction. I mean, she got it. She got it. We're, we're under construction. We're, God is in a building pro, program. He's in a building program. He's in a gardening program. He's in a birthing program of maturing us and making us in our lives. This is what he wrote. Um, he said that my wife was coming home one day and she got stuck in construction. I'm paraphrasing his words. She got stuck in construction, and because of being held there as long as she did, gave her time to think. And when she got home, she declared to the family, this is what I want on my tombstone. Construction completed. He wrote, every human being is under construction from conception to death. And the only thing I would say different about that is we're under construction when we come into the family of God as well, onward. He says, from conception to to death. Each life is made up of mistakes and learning, waiting and growing, practicing patience and being persistent. At the end of construction, death, we have completed the pro process. And I, I, you know, that's not undoing what Mr. Graham wrote because it's beautiful for us. I sort of look at life as a series of kindergartens. Now I know some of you didn't go to kindergarten, but you know what kindergarten is. It's that sort of step before grade one. And, uh, Life is a series of kindergartens. It's, it's almost like you start out and you start in kindergarten and then you get in those older grades. And you go to middle school and you're put back in kindergarten again. And then you, go in, then you go to high school and you're in kindergarten again. And you go to college and you're in kindergarten. You get your first job and you're in kindergarten again. You move to a new community and feel like you're in kindergarten again. Well, I'll tell you what. I sometimes think that that's probably like heaven. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to be in God's kingdom. 
and we're going to just grow into a whole other thing. So that's such a cool thought. We are to grow up in our faith to become mature. So this begs the question then, what is maturity? What are the growth markers of maturity? And so is there a checklist to determine growth in our life? So physically and emotionally, teachers, there, we have educators and, and some even in this room in our, in our congregation right now, um, that you're, you're educators. You, you know that there are markers of growth. Um, so here's a few of the categories that would be in our school systems. Um, human growth and development. Um, fine motor skills. Growth, gross motor skills. Physical development activities. Intellectual, emotional, and social development. And there's all these things. And these are like checklists to say, is the child progressing? Are we growing? Are we maturing? Are we, are we developing properly? And so in our spiritual life, we go, okay, huh, spiritual checklist for our growth. How many people are, are list keepers? We have, this is not a trick question. How many are list keepers? You're like keeping. I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a list maker for sure. And I do. I'm a, I'm a list maker and I, and I like to keep them too. And, and you know, there is something about the, the list. It's a funny thing. Um, sometimes, and I'm just admitting, and I know some of you do this, so don't you judge me. You take, you do something in the morning, and at four o'clock in the afternoon, you write it in to your list, and then you go, ching, and you check it off. And that, sometimes that ching feels so good. It is an endorphin hit that you get. You feel so good about the check off. Sometimes better than the task that you did. You feel good about the check mark that's there. God, just, just give me a list. I want a list. Be a list. Now, there's there's a caution that I want to give us here as I've thought about this. We have to be careful with lists. We we know this as parents or or people that have worked with children. You can give a child a list, and they check off everything on the list, and yet the job's not done because there's more to a list than meets the eye. There's more to a list than the parts and pieces. In fact, the, the, greatest, the greatest joy in a parent's heart is the day they don't have to give a list anymore because the, carrot, the kids birth certain things out of their heart and out of their new attitude. And so the reason we were given lists is because of the offense. Ten Commandments. He didn't start us off with the Ten Commandments. He gave the Ten Commandments. He gave us because of the offense. Because lists point to a problem. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting when, uh, when Joe came to live with us. I just thought of this now. There would be lists that kept emerging around the house when Joe was with us that I'd never seen before. Well, they were there because somebody... <laughs> Somebody in our house was doing some things that needed a list. And it wasn't going on. Um, so lists can be, they, they can be dangerous. And there's a group of people in the Bible who kept lists a lot. And they were a group called the Pharisees. Anybody ever heard of the Pharisees? Now, come on now. If you haven't heard, I mean, you haven't heard of Billy Graham, but you've heard of the Pharisees. Come on now. <laughs> so 
so they were they were meticulous at, at keeping track of actions and the actions of others. And, and the result was there was a tendency toward pride, there was a tendency toward judgmentalism, and there was a tendency toward condemning attitudes. And the problem with the list is how do you make the list big enough for all the contingencies that possibly will emerge? And they would sometimes have a list for themselves, and there was another list for other people. And then you had that whole surface thing where Jesus comes along and says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Oh, you've kept the list on the surface. Good for you. Where's the list for the inside of you that's like a tomb is what he compared it to, right? You see, you see it. Uh, the list for them produced hypocrisy. So let's look at a couple of lists here or, or examples. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisees stood up. Now this is Jesus actually telling a story, giving them an example or, or like a, an example. He says the, they're praying, two people praying. One's a tax collector and then, then a, uh, a Pharisee. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. So he prayed second, by the way. We don't have the prayer, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. You know, the humility was the tax collector. But the Pharisee prays about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Now, I'm sorry. If you've got a nice resident voice, I'm not making fun of you. It's just it's sort of the God voice or the uh, Pharisee voice. I guess. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And here comes the list. Robbers, evildoers, adulteries, and this tax collector. So he added him to, to his list. And the list was dangerous for this Pharisee. The crowd, they asked Jesus for a list. John chapter 6, verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do? So what did they ask him? Well, they say, what must we do? God, where's the list? So the do what? To do the works that God requires. What do we do? Tell us what to do. We want a list. Give us a list so we can write it all down. And Jesus answers them, and he must really frustrate them because he gives them a one-item list. And by the way, one item is not a list. <laughs> by definition. He gives them one thing. He said, your work is to believe. It's to believe. There's the one item. You see, he cut through all the parts and pieces. There are good lists in the Bible. They're powerful. But, 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 but you've got to cut through. Jesus, amongst all the list of all the commands, what's the greatest command about love God and love your neighbor? See, he went to the foundation and he did here too. There's all kinds of things that you're looking for right now. But here it is. It's to believe. Because lists do something to us. They bring us into the realm. They can easily bring us into the headspace of self-effort. I can do this. God... In essence, God, give me something that I can accomplish so that I don't need you. I can do this. Well, if you can do this, our children, if you can feed yourself, then go ahead and feed yourself. And they mess it all up and then say, Mommy, Daddy, help. And that's what Jesus is looking for. That's humility. That's the core of the Gospel. When we say help, He goes, I've been waiting to hear the whisper of your prayer to say help because I went to the cross to help you. There's the gospel. There's the gospel. Uh, the disciples, they asked for a list. It's a bit of an odd scripture maybe to use for this, but Matthew 18.1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of, of heaven? 
So I, I wrote here ten, the ten, you know, top ten lists. David Letterman made them famous. It was just top ten lists for everything. Who's the greatest? God, give us the per first person. Give us the list. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, he just throws a great big wrench in their expectation. And he brings, uh, show them what they bring here, Chris. I put the picture there, didn't I? Yeah, there. That's this, I'm sure, this is the child that Jesus put before them that day. I'm sure it is. Um, he brings a child. So give us a list. Well, who's the greatest? Is it going to be the oldest? Is it going to be the one who prays great prayers or never loses his cool, the most somber, the hardest working, the best Bible memorizer, or the pastor? I hope it's the pastor. I hope it's the top one. He says, bring me a child, is what he said. And he stands the child before them, and he you want a, you want a list? You, you want to know what's great? And he puts a child, and he goes, be like this child. Unless you change, I'll read it, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And it sort of blew their minds, and it still blows my mind today, how upside down the kingdom of heaven is compared to our thinking. It's why we have to be transformed and renewed in our minds so that we begin to think like God because it's not intuitive to our human nature. Jesus, he takes typically who in our society is the most immature child and puts that child and said, you want to be mature? You want to be great? You want to become and attain to what you're asking here? Here it is. Become like the most immature. Because the immaturity of a child and their motor skills and fine motor skills and gross motor and, and development and social and emotional development, but their faith and their simple trust. You've got to become like this. If you're going to come, you've got to be able to say, Daddy, Abba, Father, help me. Are you with me this morning? You see, are you seeing the gospel here? It blew their mind. Maturity checklists have their place, but they can end up taking the place of the heart issue. We can do all the parts and pieces, but we miss the foundation. Marks of maturity aren't just action, but they're attitudes. And how do you give enough lists to change an attitude? And that's why we can give a list to our children and say, do this, this, and this. But what list do you give to give them an attitude that's going to be the right one? Um, how do you check off a list like that? Now, having said all that, the Scripture gives us some amazing lists. But they're there for a purpose, and they have to find the right perspective. And so I'm going to take us to one of those, or at least I'm going to give it to you verbally. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul to the Ephesians, could arguably be one of the most powerful spiritual, um, if you want something to help you grow in your life and to begin to get glimpses of holiness and the righteousness of God, Ephesians 4 is a really good chapter. He, so I'm going to give you some of the list from it. And this is just partial. He says, be humble, be gentle, bear with one another in love. So these are maturity. These are growing up in your faith stuff. This is becoming like, like Jesus stuff. You know, uh, Bear with one another in love. Keep the unity of the peace. Speak truth in love. Put off your old self. Put off falsehood. Don't sin in your anger. Stop stealing. Get rid of unwholesome talk. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of brawling and slander. Be kind, be compassionate, forgive, it's all there, and more. It's an awesome list. But it is Paul who wrote this to the Corinthians 13.2. Thank you, Chris. So here's the list. If I have 
the gift of prophecy. Check mark. And I have I can fathom all mysteries. Check mark. And I have all knowledge. Check mark. And I have a faith that can move mountains. Check mark. Man, that's a good list. I mean, if I would think, man, if somebody here had the gift of prophecy, fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, and the faith that could move mountains, we would be sort of like, okay, I'm going to ask so-and-so to come up and preach to him to sit down. Right? And what does Paul say? What does God say? But if you do not love, you got nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm nothing. And so see, that's, that's where the list goes awry. Because we have to go to the foundation of the list. I can check off the list, but there are foundational issues that trump the lesser. In this case, love. The problem with spiritual lists is you can miss the central element of maturity while you work away at all the parts and the pieces. Like a construction project. You're so busy with the windows and the doors and the paint colors that you forgot to get rebar for the cement and so it has a weak foundation. Like that makes no sense. And the building looks so good. There's lots of that Jesus said around this, of course, but then the winds came and the floods came and came tumbling down because it didn't have the foundation. So what is spiritual maturity? What is it at its core? If it's more than a list, what is it? There's some scriptures for it. Ephesians 4.15 Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. So we're to grow to, to be like Him. Both Now this is both individual and this is the body. This is me and us, you and us, all of us together. Ephesians 4.22 that we looked at, and I'll just read that second half again. What? To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God. Like God, to be like Jesus. Uh, Romans chapter 8.29, For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. We're to be like Jesus. Ephesians 5.1, He says, Be imitators of who? Of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love like who? Just as Christ loved us and gave Himself. He is our pattern. He is our template. It's, it's about becoming like Him. This construction project isn't about me. And it's not per se about me just being good and kind, and that's enough. I had a very insightful, um, I had a very insightful conversation with Kimberly and Monica. And, and they're going through a shift right now. Um, Kimberly's going to just step back for about six months, and Monica is going to just sort of step in and help her with the scheduling of those that will be doing our kids' church and all of those kinds of things. And good for Kim, raising Scotia, and she's just feeling to do that, and I'm behind her to do that. Um, but they were just talking about how, how we do, how we do, and how we have done church. And there's nothing wrong. We, we need to go to God's Word. It's God's Word. But the problem is, if God's Word becomes a list, we can know all the pages. I have had some people, I've been in their presence, they knew the Bible better than I did. They could quote, they could outquote me, but they didn't know Jesus. And you're like, wow. 
It's like you know the roadmap, you know all the street names, and you know everything, but you don't know how to get to the final destination. You got it all figured out except the, the thing that it was all about. And Kim said, well, we talked about this, that we're trying not to just teach our kids kindness and how to be good citizens and to obey their parents. Because even non-believers can do that. And we can go through an entire system and have those lists, but not know Jesus. So our primary goal is to help our kids discover who Jesus is and fall in love with Jesus. And when, and when she said that, I'm sort of sitting there going, why aren't you the pastor of this church? <laughs> right? That's just so simple and so profound. And I understand. We've got to be careful. We've got to stay to the Word. I get that. But, but the enemy will take even what is good and turn it against us when it becomes our own effort, our own ability to check off. And, and suddenly it's, by grace you are saved through faith and my works. No, it says not of works. So that I can boast a little bit. No, I cannot boast. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. This construction project, it's not about me just being good and kind. It's about coming, becoming like Jesus. It's a, it's a journey of discovering Jesus. It's a journey of attitude. It's a journey of understanding holiness. What is holiness in a world that just isn't holy? What is that for us? To, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus in Christ. So all these verses we look, it's in Christ. As Christ loved us, like His Son, a new self created to be like God, grow to become like His mature body. We're going to watch uh, the skit, guys. We've uh, shown this a long time ago. We showed this five-minute skit, but it's worth showing again. And I really felt to do this. I had it in our library here. And it's the chisel, if you've seen the chisel. But if you haven't, just allow this again to see that God is working on me. He's building us. He's, he's building His kingdom. He's, we're under construction. We are filled. He's cultivating. Cultivating is hard. It's hard in the soil. It's hard in the garden. But it reaps great results. It brings the fruit that we so, so much desire as we progress. But will we look at some of the lists of growing? Absolutely. But we have to have that as the foundation. The list is secondary to the prime. Time is Jesus. It's about loving God. It's about looking to God and say, God, I can't do this. I don't know how to live. Life is upside down in your kingdom. You, when somebody in this world, when somebody hits you in the face, you hit them back and you take them to court. And in your kingdom, you say, Love your enemies, treat good those who despitefully use you. Your kingdom. It doesn't make any sense to me because it's so upside down. Because God is changing our hearts to be more like Jesus. So let's listen to the chisel. Let it minister to your heart. Let's grow as we hear all these things.